Welcome to Solo 2.0, an empowerment podcast hosted by two sisters living in LA, making their way through the health and wellness world. I'm Ryan Birch. And I'm Jess Sukan. Each week, we're committed to bringing you conversations with risk-taking, resilient guests from diverse backgrounds, interviews with experts on controversial or misunderstood topics that will expand your perspective, and lively roundtable discussions with our mom, hormone health educator, Candace Birch. We're driven to provide the support and motivation needed to ignite growth, confidence, and purpose so you can step into that 2.0 version of you. We can't wait to dig into these conversations and hope you'll join us every week for a new episode. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the Solo 2.0 podcast. This is Ryan, co-founder of Your Hormone Balance. And this is Jess, holistic health coach and founder of Body Bliss by Jess. So in this week's episode, we're chatting with Vanessa Grimaldi, who I'm sure a lot of you know from The Bachelor, because not only was she a fan favorite, but she actually ended up getting engaged to Nick Vale in the season finale of 2017. And if you don't know what happened after that final rose, you will just have to tune into this episode to find out. So aside from the fact that The Bachelor is definitely one of my guilty pleasures, been watching it for a while, and Vanessa was one of my favorite contestants from the start of the season, one of the main reasons we wanted to invite her on our podcast was to talk about her experience as a special education teacher who now uses her public platform to do good and give back to the world. In 2017, she created the No Better You Foundation, aiming to help schools in Montreal take better care of students in inclusive education programs. Soon thereafter, she successfully competed on and won Celebrity Fear Factor representing No Better You and spearheaded a fundraising campaign to raise over $100,000 for her foundation. The money she's raised has gone toward building highly effective sensory rooms in various schools in Montreal, which we found so fascinating and something that she talks about in this episode. We also wanted to mention that like many of our recent episodes, we recorded this one a few months ago before COVID, before this current civil rights revolution. So obviously a whole lot has changed in the world since then. Um, but this conversation is still really relevant. We we talk a lot about mental health and giving back to underrepresented communities. We also wanted to give a shout out to Taylor Nolan, who was a previous guest on our podcast, also a Bachelor contestant therapist and Vanessa's best friend. Taylor has a great podcast called Let's Talk About It. And in a recent episode, she had Robin D'Angelo on, who is the author of White Fragility. And they discussed reverse racism, the good, bad binary of racism and what white fragility is. At the end of that podcast episode, Vanessa joins Taylor to share the honest conversations they've been having as best friends, having to deal with, um, you know, racism and what's going on in the recent news. So we found that to be a really enlightening conversation and something we really encourage you to check out. Yeah. And that episode is episode 121. So go over there, take a listen and also follow both Taylor and Vanessa on Instagram for just really open conversations. They've been having, having empowering content and their quarantine updates. So we look forward to hearing what you think of this episode. Sit back, relax and enjoy this conversation with Vanessa. Well, we're really looking forward to chatting with you about so many different things, your experience, of course, on The Bachelor, but especially the amazing work that you're doing with No Better You. And 
Yeah, we're. I mean, it's incredible, and I can't wait to learn more. So before we get into all of that, we wanted to take it back to the way early days and tell us about where you grew up and how would you describe your childhood? What were some of the things that you were really into? And did you have any interests or hobbies that kind of carried over to the work that you do now? I love this question. I don't think anyone has ever asked me about my childhood. Yeah, and I had... (laughs) the best memories are from my childhood. So I'm from an Italian background. I grew up and was raised and born in Montreal, but my family is from Italy. So all of them immigrated to Montreal. And at one point, I don't know how it happened, but my dad's side and my mom's side all lived and bought houses on the same street. So I actually had asked the show when I had my hometown dates with Nick to walk on that street. And I think it's a I think you see a small segment of it. I don't remember what my hometown dates, uh, what my hometown date looked like, but I had brought Nick on the street and I explained to him how my grandmother's house was attached to my aunt's house and my aunt's house attached to my cousins and then an immigrant from Italy and it was my house and my, and both of my grandparents were living on the same street, all of my first cousins. Um, and I just loved hanging out with family. So for me, growing up, family was always very important. And that's what you saw on the show when we were filming. And family is still mm-hmm. something that's extremely um, critical for me. And I think that was one of the major reasons why I ended up moving back to Montreal. Because I did live in L.A. for about a year and a half. And I just missed being with my family. But to answer your yeah. question... Yeah. To answer your question, I always loved hanging out with kids and teaching and being a part of their upbringing. My brother is eight years younger than I am. And when he was born, I converted our playroom into, (laughs) I kind of turned it into a classroom and he loved Winnie the Pooh. So I would put the Winnie the Pooh stickers on the wall and he learned how to count and like do additions and subtractions when he was like three years old. Um, So amazing. Yeah. So I, I always loved being in the classroom environment. My mom was an Italian teacher. My sister's a teacher. So I think it's in our blood. But I started special education kind of, out of, not out of the blue, but there was an opening at the school and I went to see what the program was like and I, I kind of just gravitated towards the program. And I don't know how it works in the United States, but in Canada, in grade uh, seven, eight, nine, you have to kind of decide what you want to do for the rest of your life, which I think is ridiculous. And at that time, I knew I wanted to go into education, and I went and shadowed a teacher, and the teacher that I went to shadow was at a special education program. So it kind of all went full circle um, years later. Yeah, so to your point about having to know what you're doing in 7th, 8th, and ninth grade, how so? Do you have to make a declaration of what you want to study before high school in Quebec? Because we definitely don't have to do that in the U.S. Oh, really? So what happens in Quebec, I think it's specifically in Quebec, you go to high school until grade... So a six, seven, eight, nine, ten until grade eleven, and then you have two years of CEGEP, which is pre-university, and then you go into your university courses. So oh, in wow. pre-university, yeah, in pre-university, you kind of have to know what you want to study. If there's certain classes you have to take in order to get into the program at university, you take them there. Um, and at that, that point, I, I really had no idea, but I, I always knew that I loved teaching. And you can teach in any kind of work, right? Right now, mm-hmm. what you're doing with your podcast, you're teaching, you're educating. People who are personal trainers are educating. So 
I was doing, I wanted to do something in education. So while you're shadowing the special education teacher, what was it about it that you loved or that really drew you to this profession? Did you see an opportunity to maybe do things different or better? What really resonated with you? I think for me, it was being able, it's the, it's a, it's a community that is always happy. They have such great energy. Um, and if you saw my hometown date, you can definitely see that and feel it through the screen. They're just, they're just amazing people to hang out with. And I remember when I was, uh, I, I don't know how old you are at that, at when you're in that grade, but I just remember connecting with them. And for me in life, there's nothing more sacred than having a strong and genuine connection with people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just knew like, this is, this is what I want to do. I want to be able to help empower the community. And at that point, <clears throat> at that point, I knew I always wanted to have a, found, uh, a charity or a nonprofit. Cause when I was younger, I would watch it was really sad, but I would sit and cry in front of the TV and watch the World Vision uh, infomercials and cry and cry and cry. And my dad is like, hey, I have to change channel. This is not normal. I was like four <laughs> years old. And when I was in high school, I mean, I wasn't working, so I didn't have my I didn't have disposable income. But I always wanted to sponsor someone from uh, World Vision. And then once I was in Sejep, that's pre-university. I was working and I, um, I sponsored a little girl from Cambodia and, uh, that was the beginning of where I knew I wanted to keep doing bigger things. Okay. So you end up going to school and becoming a teacher and did you decide right away it was going to be special, special education? At that point I knew I loved special education. I just didn't know because it's different. Once you go to, um, pre-university, in Sejep, I, I just, I was so confused. I, there was so many things that I love doing. And I'm also someone that doesn't like saying I could be this or this. I like saying I'm, I could be this and this. But mm-hmm. at that point in my life, I knew I had to choose. And it was like, I, I was in the or mentality, uh, which I think most people are in the or mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that I'm in the and mentality, I'm doing a bunch of stuff. Um, so I, I knew I wanted to become a teacher. And once I started teaching, which is really interesting. So anyone that's listening, that's from Quebec and you want to start teaching, as long as you have a university degree, you could be teaching adult education. So that's what I did. I studied in public affairs and I didn't even go into my first degree is not even in education. I went into public affairs and I thought I wanted to start working in PR for the government. And I'm like, I don't know much about it. It's really sad, but I'm like, I'm not even that interested in the government and like all of that talk. And I started teaching uh, English as a second language to immigrant students right out of university or while I was still in university. And then I realized that I wanted to get my university degree. And I went back to university at Ottawa U and got my education degree. And when I went back to the school I was teaching, there was an opening in special education and I just gravitate, it just, it made sense for me to start working with that program with wow. everything that I learned at university. And I learned about special education and I learned about the diagnosis and I learned about how to um, implement different lesson plans for them, for the students. And it just, it just all made sense. That's insane. That's amazing. And I, I just want to say that I have seen your season of The Bachelor, and I remember that hometown, and we'll get into The Bachelor, of course, but your students were just mm-hmm. so in love with you. Like, 
It gave me chills watching them and just the way that they responded to you. And you could tell that they're really protective of you too. <laughs> and it's really, really sweet. And it just like, you know, sometimes with reality, you're like, what is real and what's not? And in that moment, I was like, that is a hundred, a thousand percent real. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so what is it that really kind of sets you part, apart as a special education teacher? And how do you make that super strong connection with your students? Because I guarantee that's not how every student feels about their teacher. I think it's like any profession, right? Whether you're a doctor, a nurse, you're a writer, you have to love what you're doing. You have to be in it because it's something that you're inspired by. I was always inspired by my students. So a lot of my lessons, my lesson plans came from conversations that I had with my students, whether that was, you know, at one point we had to talk about social media once I came off of the show and and I did a lesson plan about social media and I did a lesson plan about bullying and online bullying. And so a lot of it is authentic conversations that you have with your students and getting to know what their needs are and what they want to learn and how you could help elevate their education. Um, Mm -hmm. It was, my students were always very overprotective. Um, (laughs) And it's, yeah, it's, uh, it was an amazing hometown date. I remember watching it not long ago. When was Hometown Dates on on Peter's season? Was it last week or the week before? Um, I think it was last week. Yeah. So. I mean, not that I'm watching, but yeah. No, <laughs> you're not? Uh, no, I am. I am okay. watching. I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> so when I was watching Peter's Hometown Dates, I'm like, I, I was with my boyfriend and he's like, I never saw your Hometown Date. So we, I kind of just like, I had to find it online. I didn't even know where to find my Hometown Date and I managed to and it, that was my favorite part, just being with my students and interacting with them and giving them a platform on national television. Wow, what a cool experience for them. So you were working as a teacher when the opportunity for The Bachelor came about. Is that right? Or what was the kind of timing for that? Yeah, that was, oh man. Um, so I was on the show three years ago and I think towards the end of the school year, so it must have been in May, June, I get a call and the person on the other end, I actually missed the call and they had left me a voice no, uh, a voicemail and they had asked me if it was so-and-so from The Bachelor and they, they wanted to know if I was still single. And at that time, I thought it was a joke because my best friend who ended up submitting me for the show at the time kept saying, I should go on the show. You've been single for so long. People get married. People have kids, yada, yada, yada. And I had never seen an episode of the show. And at that point, I was like, oh, I would never do it. Like, why would girls go on this show for? Like, that's so sad. And <clears throat> so I ha- there was a stigma, right? And uh, I don't remember what happened. I think I had, oh, yeah, they had asked me to go to New York for a an audition. And at the time, <laughs> I mean, you're not making that much money as a teacher. And I wasn't unionized. So whatever day I was missing, I wasn't getting paid and I just didn't have that money to, you know, take a flight to go to New York City and pay for a hotel and all that. So I said no. And then eventually I was in L.A. and I um, they knew I was in L.A. and they asked me to go and audition uh, in at their offices. And at that point, I just wanted to bring my friend, my best friend, Jen, who submitted me for the show Um that's basically how it happened. I, w- I wanted her to have the tote bag. I wanted her to have a bachelor t-shirt. So I'm like, yeah, I'll come to the And I really wanted it. I wanted to do it for her because she was so excited. And then once I got selected, I kind of just went with the flow. And I said, well, 
traditional way of, you know, dating hasn't been working out for me and it has worked out for some people and there hasn't been any divorce rates. So why not try it out? Wait, there hasn't been any divorce rates? No. That's crazy. I didn't, I mean, obviously people, for those that get married, yeah, yeah, obviously they've broken off their engagements, but um, I had no idea. That's really cool. Wow. Wow. So surprising. So I, I want to know, I'm not someone who regularly watches The Bachelor, but from what I have seen, I always wonder how it is that people seem so confident and cool when they go on the show. It seems like it would be so intimidating to meet someone like that for the first time with all the cameras on. But from what I've seen, people usually seem so natural and calm. So what were your nerves like going into this? How did you prepare? Did you prepare? Uh, really, I always want to know, how, how are you even able to be yourself in that situation? How, how can you get more comfortable? I didn't prepare. Um, I, I watched maybe like two episodes uh, of The Bachelor to kind of understand what the premise of the show was. And I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Um, and I think, I don't know how, I don't know what the, but there is an actual like number or percentage of time where if you do the same thing over and over again, you kind of get used to it and you get used to that environment. And it is kind of like an experiment, right? When you're throw you're thrown into a house with a, a, a bunch of women and you're stripped away from your support system, no cell phones, no TV, no radio. And you're relying on each other, on other contestants and on, on producers and on your own feelings. So for me, it was really a therapeutic experience because oftentimes whenever I'm making whatever decisions I'm making in life, I call my mom and my sister. Like they're on my speed dial. Mm-hmm. Every day I call them. Every d- little decision I'm making, I call them. Whether like I bought a pillow and I'm like, should I keep this pillow or should I return it? Like, just the littlest <laughs> things, you know? And um, I had to rely on what my feelings were, what my intuition was. And it was the first time that I was also introduced to therapy. So I think, for me, therapy really helped me own who I was um, and be authentic with my feelings. And I think you just get used to having cameras around you. You kind of just forget that they're there. And it becomes your reality for however long you're on the show. So you mentioned therapy. Is that something they provide for you while you are on the show? Yeah. It's the most amazing thing that ever came out of this franchise. Like, for me at least, being introduced to mental health and taking care of your mental health. um, Mm. I find, like, East Coast is a little bit behind with that West coast. Like everyone talks mm-hmm. about therapy and, their oh, yeah. and it's normal. And True. When, I, when I came back home to Montreal, I was still, you know, Skyping in with my therapist. And, um, it, for me, it was just to check in. I was at a good place, but I just needed to check in. And, uh, it was a little bit of a foreign subject for a lot of people around me. Yeah. That's so great that they have that built in. It seems extremely necessary, especially when you're not able to talk to your friends or family while you're there. Um, And so I also wanted to know, do you have any semblance of a routine when you're there? Can you? Can you have a morning routine? How do you set yourself up to feel your best or at least maybe close to that? Oh, man. I'm off the show and I think parts of me being on the show that I've kind of forgotten about. I think it's PTSD. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But it's, it's very... There, I guess there is no real routine because you never really know what's happening when the date card is coming. So you're kind of just, you know, there is a kitchen, so you get to cook whatever you want to cook. 
Um, so if you're on like whatever diet you're on, diet you're on, you're you're still able to continue that. There's a pool, there's sun, um, and there's really no distractions at the end of the day, right? So it's not like as if you're waking up to emails or you're waking up for work or you're waking up uh, to any like I don't know stressful situations that you have in life, other than obviously being on a show and dating a guy that's dating a ton of other girls. But um, <laughs> it's uh, you kind of we didn't have a gym so we just created like workouts like body weight workouts outside by the pool um not no real routine really yeah yeah I actually I had a friend who was on just one episode of The Bachelor no way yeah she was on Ari season and she was telling me because obviously a lot of times you see these women being incredibly emotional after the first night when they get sent home and and she was very emotional and she was like you have to understand that like that rose ceremony is hours and hours Mm -hmm. and hours that you're standing there like it's not just the you know five minutes that you see you're there all night and then you're having producers say one thing to you someone else is saying another and it's just you know, you, you don't have access to the outside world. So you're just, your emotions are all very heightened. So she was like, I probably wouldn't have reacted the way that I did, um, in real life. If, Mm -hmm. you know, if it were to, if I was actually dating out in the real world, did you see that to be true at all? And what was it, what were some of the hardest or most challenging aspects of that? Well, night one, is the rose ceremony is the longest. I still have blood stains in the back of my heels for how long we were standing. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was, well, I mean, granted, they were new shoes that I'm like, oh, I'll wear night one, like not thinking that I'll be for hours. Um, I think the hardest thing for me, was that your question, the hardest, or would I have reacted that way? Um, I'm a hopeless romantic, so I fall easily, quickly, not easily. I take that back. I fall quickly. Um, if there is a connection, I can definitely fall quickly, um, and romanticize certain relationships Mm -hmm. and going on, you know, obviously a show like the bachelor, everything is romanticized to another level. And I mean, it is such a weird environment, right? Like who puts a bunch of women in a household together where you're not able to talk about anything other than the same guy that you guys are dating. So yes, if you're walking into the show with any ounce of insecurity, which we all have, I had a ton of insecurities walking into the show, you know, you start second guessing yourself. You start second guessing your relationship. You start second guessing your, you know, you start second guessing everything. And then obviously coming off of the show, there's like a period where um, nothing is happening. Like the show, you guys just finished filming and then it starts airing in January. And then you have to relive everything all over again. It's it's really hard. It was really hard for me um, on my mental health. That's why I, I went to therapy. And um, it, it was, you know, this year I had posted a picture when the girls had started their season and I said, just try to enjoy it because I didn't get a chance to enjoy it. I didn't allow myself to enjoy it because I was so in my head about everything. Um, and now that I've gone through the process and I'm I'm older and I understand and I've, I you know I understand the process. It's it's obviously a lot easier said than 
than done, but I wish I could have went back and just enjoyed the process. Yeah, we interviewed Taylor Nolan and she said it was traumatizing in many ways, the experience, and especially the response from people online after she got back from the show. So what was that experience like for you having to watch yourself back and then having to get feedback from people that don't even know you? Oh boy, it was not easy because I think I started with less than 300 followers on Instagram. And, um, you know, every episode there were more and more followers and more and more opinions. And it's, you know, it's crazy. I remember I had my friends over for an episode and they were scrolling through my comments on a picture, but they were scrolling so quickly and ignoring all the nice comments until they found a, a negative one. And I'm like, okay, so I'm not only doing this to myself. People do this. Like people are looking for something like toxic. And I stopped them and I said, you're doing exactly what I've been doing to myself. Like, don't look for the mean comments that people are saying about me. Like, why don't we just, and a lot of, I got to say to my followers, a lot of my followers were like, why do you keep um, only commenting back to people who are saying mean things about you? And I'm like, you know what? Thank you for mentioning that. And Thank you for making me realize what I'm doing wrong. And that at that point, I started shifting my, my attention to the positive comments. Because I think, you know, coming off of the show as the person who got engaged, to, to there were a ton of people who hated me for it and a ton of people who loved me for it. But no, no one really knew me, right? So mm-hmm. it was, I remember at AI. Yeah, far after the final rose I I told Chris Harrison whatever door I choose I'm still going to lose because I'm never going to make everyone happy and I think at that point I was just trying to make everyone happy happy and I just didn't know how and um uh it was tough it was really tough and having to do interventions with my students as well because some of them had social media and they were reading the comments and a lot of them were not understanding the premise of the show because Nick Mm -hmm. did come to the to the school and we did a, a a photo album of our first date where I was wearing a wedding dress and they thought I was married to him and then the show airs and he's kissing other women. They didn't understand what happened. So it was just oh a goodness. whole it was a, it was a very interesting it was a very interesting time and I think I just look back and feel sad for the the person that I was coming off of the show very insecure and uh, very much in my head and I never I felt like I was always doing something wrong yeah which is so interesting because in a sense like you quote-unquote won right so it's like you would think it would be just so wonderful and majestic and you would feel so incredible but then you have to go back and re-watch all of the hard parts and to get the feedback from people who maybe didn't love you and then not to mention um, going through a breakup afterwards so I'm curious how that impacted you and because you're not only going through it on your own, but then you're also going through it um, on a somewhat international platform. How did you, you know, what support systems did you have to get you through that time? (coughs) Okay, there's going to be a long answer, so I'm just going to take a sip of water. (laughs) Okay, no worries. Oh boy. Okay, the breakup. The breakup was, because it was mutual, it was easier for us to part ways. And I should, easier. It was devastating. It was, I I had, I was going through panic attacks and 
uh, it was really, really, really tough. But it was easier in the sense that it was a mutual decision. Because when you're the person being broken up with and you don't see it coming, it's hard. Um, and when you're the person breaking up with the person, it's also hard because you're breaking someone's heart. Um, the breakup had a lot of um, people talking. Obviously, I was in tabloids and uh, people like making up their own ideas of why it happened. And it, they knew it was going to happen. And they bet that we were going to break up. And I'm like, wow, mm. that's so wrong but at the same time like I was on a reality tv show so I kind of had to expect all those things but for me like I had mentioned before family was really is really important and it was really important for me to be back with my family during the breakup so what happened was we broke up and the day that the article came out in people magazine I was already on a flight on my way home and I wanted to be home the minute the article came out and I was with my family for about a month um, and then after I went back to LA, cause at that point I was still living in LA. So I had to move out. I had to find an apartment. Um, I was working for E! News and they, you know, I couldn't obviously work from Montreal when I was working in studio. So there was a lot of changes, um, that had to happen, but I mean, breakups are a, a bitch. Like they're not, they're really not fun. And I think that was the biggest worry my family had for me because I had gone through a really rough breakup three years prior and I was devastated, like completely devastated. And, you know, like I did go through states of depression. Um, I was extremely low. I, I would sleep until like four o'clock. I just didn't, I just didn't want to be around people. But at a certain point, I'm also someone that likes to, not likes to, but I'm someone that during a breakup, I need to let go of every emotion that I have inside of me, whether it's good, whether it's bad, all the, you know, the different stages of grief that you go through. I go through them like a million times in a day. And then eventually I keep telling myself this and I tell people who are going through breakups, the same thing. One morning you're going to wake up and you're going to not remember the feelings that you had days prior. And that more, when that morning came, when I woke up and I felt lighthearted and I felt better, I was able to just process and I allowed myself to process all the, the emotions, um, you know, with my family, with my friends. It didn't, I'm not saying that it took me a month. It took me a while, um, but it, uh, it was definitely necessary for me to like kind of uh, like that one month of like intense, um, you know, therapy more, with my family like morning too yeah mm -hmm. yeah so it was it was really tough and like you said it's um it was all over you know um and then I remember walking through the mall and people were asking me if I was fine and I'm like oh my god if one more person asked <sighs> me to crawl into a hole and just cry and it you know yeah. it, it did come from a good place but I also um I'm very emotional so it doesn't take much for me to start crying or for me to if if you know so it was tough. It was not easy, but, um, it, you know, I believe everything happens for a reason. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm so grateful for that experience and for the relationship that I had with Nick. It really taught me a lot. And, um, you know, looking back, he really helped me. I think at the time I wasn't able to really see it, but because he had gone through the show more than once, it was my first time on the show. He was able to kind of be in the position that I am in now that could, 
helps someone else process everything after the show uh, is is done filming. And uh, he was able to lead and guide me through all of that. And so I'm really grateful for it. What would you say were some of the immediate challenges of being a couple out in the real world after the show? Everything? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. It was, I remember, so what happens is after AFR, after the final rose, you're kind of just literally thrown into the real world. You're done filming. Now you're, that was the first time we had a date out in public and it was with all of my family who had come to the the taping of the show and it was just you know it was it was weird it was weird because it's like oh there's no cameras or oh there's like you know we don't have to be secretive about it anymore yeah. so you're learning about yourself and in the process you've gone through stuff the person that you're dating has gone through stuff so you've both evolved and you're kind of you didn't really evolve together because you're experiencing things differently and as the lead of the show he's experiencing something way different than I am. I'm just like focusing on him and he had to focus on all these relationships and making sure he doesn't hurt everyone. And, you know, so there's a lot of like things that he's, that he's going through and processing and I am. And so we're both evolving, but we weren't evolving together. And then at one point you kind of start evolving together. And so it takes time. It takes time to really grow as a couple, like in the real world too, it takes years and years and years to really get to know a person and you don't really ever fully get to know them because you're hoping and praying that the person that you're with is changing and evolving and you know like bettering themselves so you're constantly having to get to know them um so yeah it was it was quite the process so how long were you guys together after the show before you decided to part ways we so we got engaged in november december and then we broke up so November, December is when we got engaged. The show aired in January. We were seeing each other. Um, it's called Happy Couples Weekend. Happy Couple Weekend. And uh, from January till you March. You better be a happy couple. We were very <laughs> you named happy. It. Um, and so we would see each other. That's what all the, you know, the, the couples do coming off of the show. Because it is three months of, of, of the show being on TV. And then from March until I think it was August is when we broke up. Got it. Okay. So we know now that you are in a relationship. You look so happy and it seems like such a strong relationship. You guys are are really so adorable. But what was the process like having to get back out there? You know, once people know who you are, are you on dating apps? How did you meet your guy? So I, oh boy, uh, coming off of the show, I was, I didn't want to date. I was going through my grieving stage and you know, when you're putting, I was engaged, like in my eyes, like engagement means forever. And so like, that was something that I kind of had to come to terms with. And once I got, um, back to Montreal, I, the last thing I want to do was think of dating, but I was also like, well, I'm not going to be single for the rest of my life. Like, what am I going to do? And I went on, I don't know, a year, I don't know how many months after, like, Probably a year after, um, I went on uh, that didn't last very long. I think I was on it for a month, and I'm like, nah, not for me. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was at the time too when I was talking. I was on, I had a, a podcast with Dean and Jared, and I kept telling them 
he's, they're like, oh, for sure, like, guys slide into your DMs. I'm like, no guys slide into my DMs. Like, I think it's because people think I get so many DMs that they're not going <laughs> to DM me. So I'm like, ah, no one's DMing me. No one's into me. Like, just no one's into me. And uh, a year later, uh, I got a DM. And it is from my now boyfriend. And he had, Aww. yeah, he had sent me a DM and, um, that's, and we hit it off and that's how we started dating. So it's, it's been a little bit over a year now that we're dating and, um, I'm very grateful for everything that happened to have led me to now. Yeah. And it's almost like, if, I mean, it is like if you hadn't have gone, had had that experience on the bachelor, he wouldn't have known who you are and would have never sent that message. So it's like. That's why I think looking back on experiences and not having regrets, it's so hard to have regrets because you always learn something and you always meet someone or do something that you wouldn't have been able to do without that experience. Absolutely. And you've obviously gone on to do so much since then yeah. um, that we're really excited about hearing hearing about. I do want to ask you, though, before we move on to Know Better You, for someone who's thinking about trying out for The Bachelor, what piece of advice would you give them? Um really to do it for yourself. Don't do it for any external reason. Um, because I always say, be careful what you wish for. I think a lot of people who, you know, do something that has this big of an impact, it has a huge impact on your mental health, has a huge impact on your career. Um, and to do it because you're really looking for that love of your life. Um, and of course, like, yeah, there's like amazing experiences that come from it. Um, but, you know, the show, it does work for some people. And um, if you're in it because, and it sounds so cliche, but if you're in it for the right reasons, you're going to have the most amazing time and the most amazing friendships that come out of it. Um, but to, um, I guess, just go with the flow. I just mm -hmm. wish I went more with the flow. I wish I wasn't so in my head, really. And bring a mirror because there's not many mirrors in the mansion. <laughs> well you looked gorgeous the whole time and yeah. you're just a natural beauty which, oh, which is yeah. Oh, yeah, truly truly yeah. and and I do have to just compliment you for a second and say I love The Bachelor but sometimes I get frustrated with the lack of deeper conversations that happen and I was just immediately drawn to you because I was like this girl is deep like she is really <laughs> smart and yeah. funny and like I could hang out with her, you know, a, a lot of times Aww. I don't feel that way. And I felt that you, you were really something special and, and different. Thank yeah. you. I, I think it's, um, it's crazy because you only really get to see a one dimensional version of the person and only get to see very small amounts of conversations that you have with right. the lead of the show. So yeah, I mean, it could be frustrating sometimes when you know you had like this really good connection on one date and they didn't air it. Or, you know, you had a good conversation or maybe it was a good conversation that you had with one of the girls. And it's, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting concept because you just don't know, right? Like, you know how your time went. But then as of January, if you're on The Bachelor, you don't know how the storyline is going to go. Or you really don't mm -hmm. know what ends up happening. 
Yeah. And you don't know how you're going to be perceived. You don't know how you're going to be portrayed. I mean, there's so many variables. I can't even imagine. Like, it's crazy just thinking about it. Like I'll take, I'm a health coach. So I have to do some like story videos talking to the camera and I'll be like, Oh my God, start over delete. Like, what was that? What did I just say? I'm like, Oh, that wasn't me. And like delete. And then, you know, it's like, Oh, maybe I'll try again later today. I don't like the way my mouth, you know, and it's just ridiculous. Just even trying to do a selfie video and watching yourself back So, you know, and being worried about how people are going to perceive you. Um, But I just can't imagine a whole season of having to watch your mannerisms and and the way that you're, you know, put out on TV. So um, I commend you for that. And I think it takes a lot of it takes a lot of um, resilience. And obviously you said that practicing self-love is really important to you. So I also was curious what are some of the things that you do on a regular basis to practice self-love and self-care? I think this is going to sound so freaking cheesy, but I love a good mirror. I love a full-length mirror and just dancing in front of it. Because I think, you know, there's certain parts of your body that you may be embarrassed of or that you might not like or that you may have never noticed. But I love a good naked dance in front of a mirror. Oh, I love that. I don't do it as much naked, but I do love dancing in front of the mirror, working on my moves, feeling confident. It's really such a great idea. Letting loose, you know. So self-love for me is also, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, what makes me happy. I remember making a list. I wrote, I took out, this was like, I think around last year, I was going through a little bit of a tough time and I took out my book and I'm, I'm not someone, I don't journal much. Um, I actually, what I started doing, which is really funny, my boyfriend laughs at, at me, but at night, because I'm so overwhelmed and I'm like, oh, I, I know I have so much to do tomorrow, but I'll just figure it out tomorrow. But then I end up forgetting stuff. I voice note myself. So I'll send myself a voice note um, at night. All the things that I know I have to get uh, get going and get to do the next day with a motivational quote. And I listen, to, I listen to it in the morning while I'm either like looking at my agenda or brushing my teeth or making breakfast. And that helps me kind of set what I need to be doing throughout the day and have, and I have a schedule. So for me, self-love, there's, there's so many different components to it, but I remember writing down in my, um, my notebook, what makes me happy. Like this sounds really weird, but I like sewing. (laughs) I like sewing. I haven't, yeah, I haven't sewed in a really long time. Um, but I remember telling myself, you need to get back to sewing. That was like your time people like reading books. I'm not, um, someone that likes to sit down and like watch movies. I like to be creative and like work with my hands. Spending time with my nephew is extremely important. That's like my top priority. So getting to do things that I know make me happy. And I remember when was it a couple of months ago, I was just in a really weird headspace. And my boyfriend is like, I know what you need. I was like, what? He's like, we're driving over to your sister's house. And I'm like, oh, my God, I love you so much. That's exactly what uh, I need right now, just to be with my wow. sister and my nephew. Yeah. And that, to me, was just so – it's so important to be with someone that um, understands your what makes you happy, what makes you upset, what makes you sad, but ultimately, you know, what makes you happy and not what makes – them because you know sometimes that we project like I know this makes me happy so this should probably make this person happy mm-hmm. um so it was uh it was really nice to um to see that he recognized that yeah that's great he really gets you and what you need and I love 
but I love the voice message idea because we both always, Jess and I, we have our, our businesses and our podcasts and we're always sort of running this list of things, of ideas and things we need to do. And I think we all are. So that's a really great way to get out of your head and then really just approach your to-dos the next day and really dive right into it. And that kind of brings me into the work you are doing today with No Better You because we know, you know, obviously now being in the public eye, you have a lot going on, but you also started this nonprofit organization. So can you tell us when did this idea come about? Was it after The Bachelor? How did you get this off the ground? And can you just tell us all about it? Okay, so um, like I mentioned, I was sponsoring a little girl from Cambodia. And I bring this story back because when I was back at university, getting my second university degree in, at Ottawa, um, it was full time. It was four years condensed in nine, into nine months. So I didn't really have time to work. I was like tutoring, but I was maybe making like $100 a week and enough to like, you know, buy groceries. And so money was extremely, extremely tight. Um, but I'm also someone that always lives as if money is always tight. Um, and I think it's like uh, from my grandparents when they immigrated from Italy, they've, they've, they've instilled this mentality in me. So I'm like, no matter how much money I'm making or not making, I'm always pretending as if there's not never enough. And so <laughs> at that time, I actually didn't have uh, any disposable income other than for groceries. And so I had to decide, um, you know, how much longer I could keep paying $40 a month for this little girl in Cambodia. And, and it made me so sad. So I'm like, oh. I couldn't afford 40 bucks, you know, and I had like a three hour conversation with the agent over the phone and they found a family for her. So she was still taken care of. And I said, okay, well, since I ended this, I want to make sure the next thing that I do is going to be bigger. I just didn't know what it was going to be, but I wanted to make sure that I gave back to a community. And so when I started teaching and I noticed how much money I was putting into my classroom and how little budget we have, um, and especially in, in special education, you need you know, everything is different. The scissors are different. The pencil grips are different. So you're constantly buying different materials for the students. And um, once I got off of the show, I was talking to my students. Actually, they were asking me how I was dealing. My higher functioning students were asking me how I was dealing with online bullying. And, you know, I got, it was a very emotional conversation because I was a very honest one. And, um, I remember telling them that no matter what people say about you, there's no better, there's no better version of you and mm -hmm. you shouldn't change who you are to appease other people. And so that's when I thought of the idea of the, the, just the title, no better you. I'm like, what can I do with this? And I started talking to the teachers and some parents and I, I wanted to find out what the gap was. I wanted to fill the gap and, and not just help out a classroom of students, but the entire school. So I did some research and figured the, the sensory rooms are rooms that not only students that are exceptional learners can take advantage of, but also people who are in uh, the traditional classrooms and have anxiety, or maybe they, they're having issues at home. Maybe their parents are going through a divorce, or maybe they're new immigrants, and they have to, um, you know, they're learning a new language, and they're going through some struggles. So the sensory room is what I decided to focus on. And it was, it was a lot of work because I guess um, I never worked it for a nonprofit before. I'm not really good at soliciting people for money at all. It's super awkward. 
So obviously, as a nonprofit, you need the money to create these, mm-hmm. these rooms. And so the first fundraiser that we did uh, was a, a meet and greet with Nick and I, and it was like a workout for mental health and physical health. And we raised enough money to open four sensory rooms in four schools in Montreal. Wow. And yeah. And the sensory room, well, the, the money, it was, uh, we raised $50,000. $50,000 was split amongst four schools. A room itself can start at $20,000 and oh, it can wow. go as high as $100,000. And basically the best way I can describe it for those who don't understand what a sensory room is, imagine a spa when you walk into a spa there's like nice lighting there's the music there's the smell and you just feel a sense of relief and a sense of calmness and um or maybe you feel stimulated to you know think of the next project that you have or whatever the case is so a sensory room is a therapeutic space for students who are in special needs to feel safe in order to learn or to feel calm in order to to transition back into the classroom Um, and it has a bunch of benefits as well for people with Alzheimer's. And so we are now on our fifth sensory room. We're opening up one in Toronto. Um, I just keep winning at stuff. I won, I won $50,000. Was it 50? I won fear factor and whatever money we want on fear factor. Oh, no way. Yeah. Uh, That was donated to the nonprofit. I won a contest this past Christmas um, at a Hudson's Bay gift wrapping contest, that's $25,000. So that money's being directly donated to a school in Toronto. And, um, we're right now trying to pick a school cause I visited three and I'm like, I wish I can help all three, but 25 is enough just for one school. So, um, wow. and what an amazing person to win. Like you're actually doing yes. good with the money. How wonderful. Oh, yeah. Well, yes. I'm terrible at soliciting people for money. Fundraisers are so freaking hard to do. So I'm like, whatever contest I can get into and win, that's like, it, it's like, you know, everyone wins my nonprofit. Yeah. Wins and yeah. I also saw that you auctioned off some of the dresses that you wore on The Bachelor, which I think is genius. Mm-hmm. That was a lot of fun. I actually, I think, I remember who had said they wanted to, I wanted to do that again this year. It just gets complicated with mailing the dresses out, uh, especially sometimes they're international winners. Um, So it's something that I want to do again this year. And we also had t-shirts and we sold, we always sold out on the t-shirts and people keep asking me about the t-shirts. But these are all little things that um, obviously, you know, people love supporting. Um, Mm -hmm. Sometimes they don't want to necessarily be donating money, but they'll donate through purchasing of an item. So it's, it's stuff that we're looking into again this year. Yeah. I really like how you described the sensory room experience. Cause it's so true. When you walk in a spa, you instantly feel calm and you instantly kind of shift from the fight or flight mode to the rest and digest um, yes. part of your body. So if we wanted to check out what the sensory rooms actually look like in the different components, you can find that on the no better you Instagram page, right? Yes, exactly. There should be um, before and afters on our highlights or also on our Instagram page. Um, but we, we should be going into the schools now to get better pictures of the sensory rooms and have students be interacting with the sensory room. Um, and we have a video that we just uh, opened up. So Galileo was a school that I was teaching at, and that's where I had my hometown date. 
And that was the last school that we helped out in Montreal. And the video should be coming out in maybe this week on Instagram. So keep an eye right. out for that. Hey. So I know you've talked a bit about this, but would what would you say is your overall mission for No Better You? And, and what is your vision for it moving forward? So my overall mission was to help special education programs and the teachers and the parents and the students. And it really, I really, it trickled down to opening up these sensory rooms. And so now we're trying to open up sensory rooms in different provinces across Canada and eventually make our way to the United States because there's a need everywhere you go. Every school, every business, I think, should have a sensory room. So basically, I just want to be able to give the students the same learning opportunities as someone who is in a traditional classroom. Um, mm -hmm. And eventually, we have these cool projects. My goal is really to have a community center. I would love to have a community center and have um, a restaurant that the cooks, the servers, the hostess, everyone there is diagnosed with something. Um, they're either on the spectrum or, you know, they're not, I mean, they're diagnosed with, with a, um, I don't like calling it a disability, but they're diagnosed with something and that doesn't allow them to have a job um, like some of us do. So I want mm -hmm. to be able to give them that opportunity and help employ and just like bring the community community together. I think there's, you know, there's so much room left to, uh, to create that kind of space. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. And I, I do have a question about, you know, I feel like there's still a lot of discomfort for people when they see or meet someone, um, who is a special needs person. And I think we can tend to shy away from these conversations or interactions because we feel uncomfortable or don't know how to react. And I'm just wondering what kind of advice you would give to people for being more accepting and open and to actually get to know these incredible individuals that you, you know, showcase these stories of on your Instagram page and, and of course everywhere else in the world. Treat them like any, treat them like you would treat anyone else. They're human. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And, you know, they have probably more abilities than many of us do. And I think their greatest ability is finding happiness in things. Um, so I think we, there's a lot that we can learn by spending time with them and, and, and getting to know them. Um, it's, uh, for me, it was always an experience that allowed me to see things in a much brighter light. Um, I was always happy going to work. I was always happy leaving work. And, um, you know, I, I still hang out with some of them and I still see them every once in a while. And it's, it's, it's just a very enriching experience. Well, thank you so much for the work that you do. It's so important. And we definitely want to encourage people to go to knowbetteryou.org to learn more and see how they can support your mission and all the wonderful things you are doing there. But we do realize that we only have a couple minutes left. So to wrap up, if if you could quickly walk us through a day in the life, maybe highlighting some of your favorite daily routines that help you really stay balanced and strong despite all that you have going on. So as I say this, I also know that I need to improve on this. Yesterday I made a checklist. I love checklists. I love, I ha I don't know how to use my phone, my calendar on my phone. Uh, mm -hmm. My boyfriend keeps saying that he wants to sync our agendas. I'm like, I don't know how to, I don't know how to use it. So it's I too like, much. yeah, it's too much. <laughs> I'm with so you. I like, I like using a handwritten agenda. So for me, having a month right now, we're in the month of March. So laying out everything that I need to do in the month of March, all my important things are always highlighted. Um, 
And also to give, to make sure you schedule in time for things that make you happy and then make you healthier. Yeah. I have been on and off. Yeah. So I've been on and off with working out. There's some weeks where I'm like, well, I worked out like four days in a row and it feels so good. And then the week later I didn't have time to schedule in that one hour. And so on my to-do list uh, this morning was scheduling boxing because that's something that I started doing. So schedule boxing and schedule um, my gym workouts. Very important for me to do because for me, it's not even about the physical thing. It's about the endorphins, right? So like feeling good after you work out. And sometimes you're stuck in the state of like, oh, I don't know what to do with my life or blah, 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 blah. Well, doing something different will get you out of that state and will make you realize oh, this is what I should have done for this situation. Or it, it kind of helps you put the puzzle pieces together. So scheduling in time for me to work out is crucial. And last night what I started doing, which I only really used to do when I was teaching, <clears throat> but working from, from home, and I know a lot of us do that now, it's isolating. It's really hard uh, to tell yourself when to start and when to stop working and when to eat. One thing for me is eating is really mm. important. So I meal prepped yesterday, so there's a ton of stuffed peppers and kale salads and chop, chopped vegetables in the fridge, so I'm never going to say like, ah, oh, I have nothing to eat or I don't know what to eat or I'm going to Uber Eats this. Well, I know there's a ton of food in the fridge for me, and organizing and planning is number one, so start your day knowing what you're going to do and go to bed knowing with what you're going to do the next morning are the two biggest pieces of advice I can give myself and anyone else. So true. Yes, that's such great advice. Thank you. And what are you most excited about in your business and your life right now? And then we'll let you go on with your day. Ooh, <laughs> what am I most excited about my life and my business? I'm yeah. in a very healthy relationship. So very excited to see what the future holds with my relationship. I actually just moved in with Josh uh, right after, right around Christmas. So we're, um, slowly, you know, making the apartment, our apartment and for work, I think it's uh, a lot to do with my nonprofit. There's so many great people that are now part of my team and I'm really grateful for their energy and their ideas. Um, and I'm hoping that we keep the ball rolling and we keep doing amazing work in the schools. Um, and there's also some workshops that I want to be hosting as well. So the last workshop that I did was a vision board workshop, and I want to do one around self-confidence and um, having empathy for yourself. So that's something that I'm planning on doing in my head. I just got to get it on paper. <laughs> well, and maybe you could do a digital version so some of us could could join. That would be so great. That's cool. so smart. Yes, that would be a great idea. I love that yeah, idea, right? a lot of people. Um, we, my husband's name is Josh, too. So I, lo I love that name. <laughs> um, I am selfishly and for everybody else curious how we, I can get involved in supporting No Better You because I just think what you're doing is so amazing and so needed and and you are just such a voice for this community and I, I personally really want to be involved. Oh, I love you. Thank you so much. So we get so many emails for people who want to volunteer and I'm like, I wish there were volunteer opportunities. I wish there were right now. There, there's none because there's no fundraisers happening or there's no... Okay. Really, it's around the fundraising, um, but really, I guess the best thing that you can do is get the word out, get people to start following our page, get people to to understand what sensory rooms are, um, and if you have $5 that you want to be donating, or if there's 
you know, that's something that you want to do that's good for this month, then you can always donate on um, nobetteryou.org and click on the donate button. We can issue tax receipts. We cannot issue tax receipts. I just want to let you guys know because there's a ton of companies that come to us and have money. And I'm like, we, you know, obviously they, the tax receipt is an incentive, incentive, but, um, whatever you're able to donate, we will appreciate. And it's going to be more money towards schools that, and students that we can help out. Yeah. Great. That's wonderful. And last question, where can everyone find you, your handles and follow you? So I'm usually always on Instagram. Um, not always, but I'm mostly on Instagram. So on Instagram, for me personally, you can find me at Vanessa Grimaldi 30 And for No Better You, it's at No Better You. Yay. Thank you so much, Vanessa. Well, we hope you enjoyed that conversation with Vanessa and feel inspired to look into her foundation, No Better You, and learn about the amazing work that she's doing with them. Yes. And if you're enjoying our podcast so far, we'd love for you to subscribe, leave us a review so we can keep bringing on guests you want to hear from and grow this community. We'd also really encourage you to take a screenshot of this episode and tag us on your Instagram stories at solo 2.0 podcast so we can share it as well. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, even if nothing feels right today, you tuning into this podcast and opening your mind is enough. Change doesn't happen overnight. So be patient and kind to yourself and good things will come. See you next time.